Oracle and Catwoman. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Ashford Wright. Taking you through a classic superhero team up, Catwoman and Oracle from Birds of Prey, Oracle, Catwoman. Uh, that's from 2003. And Ashford, this is a sequel to the Bad Girl Catwoman team up we covered last summer. Yeah, isn't that cool? Like, it's been one year plus, but it feels like it was only yesterday. You know, I kind of wish I I just listened to the episode just prior to this. I just didn't have the time to re-listen to us. But uh, I figure it's been a year for most people as well. People aren't listening to this back-to-back. Or they might. They might. They might do a refresher course. like Or, mm-hmm. or someone might go, like, I didn't listen to the first one, so before I listen to this one. But a story like this... I think it would actually serve reading or listening to it out of order as like a flashback. Oh, yeah. It could work that way because they're both – they're five years apart. And so uh, to them, to the characters, it's five years that's gone by. So, you know, either way. In each episode of FW Team Up, one panelist picks one character to defend. In this case, Ashford. Who's your gal? Oracle. So, and I picked Batgirl last time, so it's like I've I've grown with the character. Mm, and I will grow with the same character I, I had prior as well. I will take Catwoman. Yay. As is customary, we preface with a reason or reasons why we like the characters involved. Ashford, what's so great about Oracle? Uh, you talked about why you like Batgirl last time, but specifically... Her Oracle persona. Well, this is an easy one. Barbara Gordon is one of the most dynamic characters in comics to me. And uh, we all know she was once Batgirl, which is rather cool. Uh, a female character donning the Bat symbol who is accepted by the Bat family and fans is pretty neat. And then, you know, there's a the controversial story, The Killing Joke. And her physical prowess is no longer capable of being a crime fighter. But she is still not out of the game. So, you know, Barbara, who earns a doctorate degree in library slash computer science, uses her know-how becoming the Oracle, where, in my opinion, makes her even more powerful than when she was Batgirl. She she used to be just a another, let's just another Street Fighter kind of character and, and a derivative one at that because, you know, Batman, Batgirl. But Oracle is like a real, it's a very different persona. She, she's built herself up from the ground up. And since I already pulled Catwoman last time, I'll shine Barbara's computer screen here and say uh, what a great character. Not only does she become a pillar of the post-crisis DCU, working with really every hero in some capacity from behind the scenes, uh, but but she's a, just a great representation for disabled people in comics. Uh, because most often, a disabled character won't really be disabled. You know, Daredevil's powers compensate for his blindness, uh, cyborgs, prosthetics... Uh, are really pure power fantasy. And disabled people may latch on to those representations, but they're not really always living with the disability itself. Well, not really. Oracle is in a wheelchair, but, you know, she remains active. She uh, She's a useful member of the superhero community, and her stories are never about miracle cures or her pining for the days before her injury. It's as positive a portrayal as you'll find. And I think a lot of people rightly complained when the New 52, quote unquote, fixed her and made her Batgirl again. You know, I like that term you use, uh, you know, like some, someone might say, like, that's not science fiction. That's more science fantasy. And I like this genre you just said, pure power fantasy. Which superhero comics are. But mm-hmm. if you're just going to sideline the thing that makes them different uh, in, in the power set, well, then... 
is it really representation? And I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not disabled, so I, I can't speak for that group. Although I have several disabled friends, and we've talked about this in the past. Barbara Gordon as Oracle is a much more fact-based uh, disabled character. So uh, I think that there's a lot going on there. And by making her bad girl again, they just took away everything that made her different from every other person in the superhero set. That makes a good point. Well, let's talk about her publication history. Again, Catwoman got her due last year, but Ashford, you stopped short at Barbara's career as Oracle last time. You just stuck to the bad girl. Uh, you want to keep going? Yes. So, like, uh, Barbara Gordon retired in Bad Girl Special Number 1, which came out around March 22nd, 1988. Writer Barbara Randall pins the story leading to our hero's twilight years. Well, not really. And I recommend reading it. It's, it's a good read and a lot of detail in the art. Uh, now, The Killing Joke by Alan Moore was released March 29th, 1988. So, this is relatively close. With artist Brian J. Bolin. Uh, many of you may have heard about this one. Uh, this is the horrific story where the Joker shoots Barbara Gordon while she was at home with her father, leaving her uh, confined to a wheelchair um, uh, once the story was over. Uh, later, the married couple, John Ostrander and Kim Yale, developed the Oracle character. And um, I'm sorry, I-, I can't remember on our Birds of Prey podcast. We have an interview with John Ostrander, and he talks about like what great pains they went to to make sure that the uh, character was done right. Uh, mm-hmm. For uh, they didn't want to see Barbara Gordon fall into obscurity. Uh, anonymously helping out Task Force X, and uh, the Oracle lended her first assist to Suicide Squad in number twenty-three. Uh, the following year, January nineteen eighty-nine, this is all like post-crisis stuff. In Suicide Squad number thirty-eight, Oracle's identity is revealed as one. Barbara Gordon. And in issue number 48, she becomes an official member. I think that's pretty cool. So she was already a part of a team. Now, in Batman Sword of Azrael, number one, writer Dennis O'Neill introduced the idea of the Oracle working sort of like Batman's immediate Google before Google. And in 1996, it was this one shot that ended up spawning a a legacy, Black Canary slash Oracle. So that's an equal billing. Uh, colon, Birds of Prey. This team up continues on all the way to the end of Volume 2 of Birds of Prey back in 2010. And that is the end of Barbara Gordon being the Oracle. Through the, the 2010s, we're going to have stuff like Flashpoint and then the New 52. And, and so Bad Girl is returned in that decade. So the, it really is the end of Oracle. And I, I don't, how do you feel about that? Was that a... For you, as a Birds of Prey reader, was that uh, a loss? Or were you and, uh, you know, fellow fans kind of happy to see Barbara in quote-unquote action again? I wasn't as offended as I should have been. But, you know, like, the two of us, like, you know, we love Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. And we love comics where if the comic lasts more than 30 years, there are certain eras where you're just like, "Eh, I'll read that. But I might not return to it. Or this is my favorite run right here, and I'll return to this often. So especially with this put into volumes, I think, you know, sometimes we think, oh, like if they retcon stuff, everything I read didn't count. I I don't believe in that. Like I go back and I read old books, and I'm like, this is relevant. This is the now. And even when you're reading newer things, they still pull back to, you know, what happened in the past. 
And uh, Gail Simone came back to write that Batgirl story when, you know, she was able body. And I thought like, okay, if you're going to do this transition and the writer's Gail Simone, I will accept that. And it was, it was good. So, but yeah. Uh, and also some form of Oracle is coming back in the new issues with this whole year of the villain. So we'll see. Mm. And, yeah. And I agree. I mean, it's like uh, when they undid Spider-Man's marriage, bad story, bad premise, bad idea to the motivation to do that was terrible, but I've liked a lot of Spider-Man stories since. That doesn't mean that undoing the marriage was a good idea in the same way that I've liked some bad girl stories since she became bad girl again, because they made sure they don't want to put the killing joke, which is one of their moneymakers, out of continuity. So somehow this still happened in a new 52, but she got better. So she, she might have been Oracle for a little while, but she got better. And somewhere in that five year span of the new 52 that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Everything happened that they want to happen because they want to keep selling editions of The Killing Joke. Sure. So there have been some good bad girl stories since then, but I do think that I think bad girl works better in a flashback. I love bad girl stories. Yes! But let's keep Oracle and say, oh, we're always flashing back to her early career, which is exactly what this series, this two-shot uh, that we're covering two years apart, that's exactly what it did. came out when Oracle was a thing, and we're just looking at her early career in the first book, and now we're going to look at her, you know how that storyline has a, a sort of sequel five years later, where she is Oracle. So we can still have bad girl stories. There was also a very good bad girl Catwoman story uh, with Kevin Maguire art in Batman Confidential uh, that I loved. Again, this was, oh, let's look back at bad girl when she was a teen, you know, when she started. And then we can still keep Oracle, which I think is a better concept. So can't we have our cake and eat it too, is I guess the question here. I would agree. And also, can we keep, it would have been cool if New 52 kept Oracle. So I could have had my uh, my Cassandra Kane bad girl fix. From that era is actually Stephanie Brown, who Barbara Gordon was mentoring uh, when the New 52 hit. So, you know, there, there, there's room for all these characters. There's room for... Characters getting older and passing the baton. I know that's not, you know, that's not something that Dan DiDio seems to, to like in the DC universe, but the whole idea of legacy that was created in the post-crisis universe, I thought was one of the most appealing. So you could have a Robin, but also have a Nightwing. You can, you know, you could have the next generation over. And uh, so they sort of streamlined it, I guess, with the new 52. Uh, we're not here to debate that. Uh, let's get into the book. Shall we? Sure. All right. Catwoman Oracle by writer John Francis Moore with art this time by David Ross and still inker Jimmy Palmiotti. Five years after Catwoman and Bad Girl first teamed up, a Catwoman, which eagle-eyed readers will have noticed wears a slightly different costume, uh, so not THE Catwoman, jumps a crooked deal for stolen microprocessors. After quickly taking out all but one man, she gives him a warning to take back to his boss, Christian Sparks. This is only the beginning. And in a wild, psychedelic dream-like sequence, we see a vibrant, crimson-haired Batgirl in the midst of a brouhaha, a beaten Riddler, a laid-out poison ivy, and a being-kicked killer moth, along with a slew of other villains. This is a fist-pumping moment for Barbara Gordon fans around the world. She beat the underlings. Time to go to the next level to fight the big boss. She walks down an eerie corridor where there is a double door with therapy written across the top in lit up letters. As Babs opened the door, 
she sees the Joker in an electric chair, wearing the infamous Hawaiian shirt without the hat. This startles young Gordon. Before she can speak, the Joker taunts her right before he pulls up the finger guns and mimes shooting her. As Bab feels the pain, she hears his distasteful laughter. Ha 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 ha. Waking from a cold sweat, Bab's nightmare is over, yet the internal trauma continues. Knowing that she won't be able to return to a deep slumber, she heads towards her workstation, looking for any potential fires to put out, so to speak. She comes across a series of attacks across the city, meth labs blowing up, people beaten to a pulp, and robberies. And all of the victims are stating that the attacks were committed by Catwoman. This sparks interest from Oracle, for the extreme violence does not really sound like Selena Kyle's method of operation. Crooked CEO Christian Sparks is recovering from a wild night with his second-in-command, Deanna Lyons, and wondering why Catwoman is putting his men in the hospital. No worries, Deanna has hired a professional to fix the problem. Someone they refer to as the Vampire, Johnny Black. B-L-A-Q-U-U-E. He's happy to take the contract because he has some history with Catwoman. Five years ago, he was calling himself Eric Dark, D-A-R-Q-U-E. Now he's a knife-throwing expert. Catwoman drops by a collector's house where she expects payment for works of art she lifted. Before he can transfer funds to her account, however, he gets a knife in the back. He's surprised. They told him they would wait till after the deal before attacking. He sold Selena Kyle out, Leland... That's his name. Just got in the way. Black missed her and hit him. She knocks a statue down on top of him. He leaps out of the way. Leland drags himself to an alarm and punches it. Black runs. Selina asks Leland for the name of who set her up. Assuming we are outside of Black Canary's home, we see Barbara Gordon and Black Canary competing in a friendly game of archery. Oracle isn't just visiting just to play. She wants to bounce ideas about the potential case to her best friend, Dinah. In this scene, we also receive some expository dialogue about the first story with Batgirl and Catwoman. And we also get the motivation of why Oracle wants to help Catwoman, who she believes is not the culprit of these heinous crimes. Remember, Catwoman stole some expensive art pieces from a museum which Oracle would like to retrieve, appreciating the curation of the arts, history, and the general public's quest for knowledge of such things. Gotham Penitentiary. Carnage. The cell of one Ryder Burnham. The other Catwoman murders him in cold blood. In town, the real Catwoman follows Leland's lead and finds Christian Sparks dead, his throat slashed. Black misses her with a knife again. He doesn't care if the guy who ordered the hit is dead. He's going to finish the contract anyway. As they fight, Deanna Lyons watches on security monitors, and she's wearing a purplish Catwoman outfit. Black is defeated, of course, but Lyons expects nothing less. She's just waiting for her own shot. Back at Oracle's workstation, she keeps close tabs on Catwoman, knowing that eventually she would confront Christian Sparks. Moments later, the perceived all-knowing Oracle spots Catwoman's doppelganger, Drats. Selina is going inside the building, where Oracle has no cameras. If only Oracle could somehow alert Catwoman that she is being followed. But Selina knows she's being followed. She tries to expose her tracker and pushing construction material on her, but whoever it is is too good. Later at her apartment, Selina sees to her knife wounds when there's a knock at the door. A package, a note from Oracle, and earbuds to get in touch with her. No longer in the clock tower, now Oracle enjoys some courtside b-ball tickets she scored from Cord Industries for debugging their teleconferencing system during their negotiation with Sony. 
the Gotham Knights versus the Cheetahs. I don't know if they're the Kansas City Cheetahs or what. Now Oracle isn't solo. No, she's enjoying the game with her father, retired commissioner James Gordon. The two discuss how they appreciate their time together and how they need to make an effort to do it more. Seeing their own faults in others, both admit to the other that the other should get out more. And right on cue, Babs must leave early for she gets an alert on her beeper that a client system just crashed. Catwoman's called Oracle, but doesn't really think she needs the help. She's not one of those heroes Oracle usually caters to. Oracle offers to prove Catwoman's innocence in the murders and beatings for the, of the recent past. In exchange, she wants the art collection stolen from Burnham's mansion five years ago. That night, Selina goes to the club that used to be the vampire's old haunt, and it still is. She threatens him with an FBI report that would be catastrophic in the hands of an old boss, Black Betrayed. She wants to know who's keeping him on the payroll. He agrees, and to keep the conversation private, Selina dumps her earbuds in a drink. Back at the clock tower, Oracle is racking her brain, trying to bust this case wide open. And she gets cut out by Cutwoman. Ah! Oh! The boy wonder, now Nightwing, appears out of nowhere to be in any assistance to Babs. After some hardcore investigating, Oracle makes the connection between Burnham and Sparks. After re-examining surveillance photos of Sparks' funeral, a woman, passing as Deanna Lyons, is actually Valerie Luton, someone Babs used to know in high school. She grew up privileged and then took a walk on the wild side. Uh, she almost became a victim of Ryder Burnham till the Catwoman saved her. Afterwards, Valerie became obsessed with Catwoman, wanting to serve as her sidekick, like you would. Selena rejected her, not wanting to have her style cramped, if you will. Valerie took the rejection rather hard, so she dedicated the rest of her days in training up to seek revenge on Catwoman. After putting all this together, Oracle explains to Dick that she will not need his expertise. For this is something she must handle personally. Black tries to leave town, but the other Catwoman finds him and slashes his throat open. He's no use to her anymore. Back at the clock tower, Babs is putting her doctorate in library science to work, discovering more about Valerie Luton. After her raging German techno post-goth phase, she goes to Europe, living with her father, who later is found dead in a Paris hotel, death by overdose of pills. This leaves Valerie with a small fortune. The Oracle digs further, learning that Valerie, spending over a million dollars in neurology clinic in Amsterdam, the head of the clinic is the same doctor who developed the artificial nervous system that allowed a paraplegic Burnham to walk. However, the side effects were severe. Although superpowered, it led Burnham into violent fits of rage. Digging even further, the Oracle hacks into the Haptman-Crane Biotechnology Project Hephaestus, the Greek god I didn't just sneeze. This new discovery has left Barbara rather concerned. Next day, Oracle is making moves in to confront Valerie Luton outside of the Monet building. Babs called Valerie's name. Valerie recognized Barbara, but is stunned to see her in a wheelchair. After the short unpleasantries, Babs suggests that the two should catch up sometime over coffee. Val leaves a card which has the name Deanna Lyons. After inquiry, Val admits to going through some transitions after the death of her father. Valerie Luton muses on the way she took over for Christian Sparks when she is surprised in her office by Catwoman. She wastes no time attacking the older model. They tumble out of the window and onto a balcony below. You can call her Carnivora. 
and Catwoman shouldn't have dismissed her outright five years ago. She's younger, she has $2 million worth of neurological enhancements and razor-sharp claws going for her. She's going to win and replace Catwoman. Not quite. Remember, Oracle was chopping it up with her girlfriend Black Canary while engaging in an archery contest? Turns out that wasn't just a quirky scene. Check this out. From the driver's side of the car, Barbara has a crossbow with a note attached. And trust me, her aim is true. The arrow soars through the air, striking the wall right next to Catwoman, who is stunned, then realizes it's a message from the Oracle. How cool is that? Now Catwoman and Oracle are connected again. Oracle warns Catwoman that she will only help her out of this jam, but no more disconnecting. Catwoman, desperate as all gets out, agrees. Now we just get a sequence of Oracle using her secular technological omnipotent skills, guiding Catwoman with her escape plan. Oracle guides Catwoman across streets, rooftops, and now onto a train, which Catwoman is going to need to jump on. Uh, Talk about taking a leap of faith. Just when Catwoman thought she was safe, her doppelganger joins in on the God Mode plan of Oracle and attacks. Carnivora almost claws Selina in the face. Oracle tells Catwoman to jump while the train rides through Belmont Power Station. She does, and the super hacker stops the train dead, throwing Val Luton off and into a wall. She quickly recovers and goes after Catwoman, who brings the fight to the power station itself. Oracle tells her intense magnetic fields should interfere with Valerie's artificial nervous system. And after Carnivora almost throws Selina into a spinning turbine, she starts to get the shakes. Catwoman takes advantage of the situation and slams her in the back of the head with a large wrench. Selina walks away free and clear as Oracle sends in the cops with all the evidence they need. Don't stop me if you've heard this one before. But back at the clock tower, Babs is ecstatic. The artwork is back in safe hands, away from DC Comics' most celebrated jewel thief. And just as you may have guessed, the Catwoman pulled another stunt, replacing the original art with an amateur cat drawing, hugs and kisses. Oh man, she got her again. But no worries. Oracle expected a little tomcat foolery from Selena. So she used her special hacker skills, taking Catwoman's stashed away money from the Cayman Islands and rewiring it to another offshore account. If Selena doesn't react within a short amount of time allotted by Oracle, the money will go to Barbara's favorite charities. Catwoman got the message. Later at the Gotham Museum of Art, Selena is at an exhibit where the famous painting was restored. Babs appears admiring the same painting. Babs starts a conversation with Selena, expressing her joy of art and refreshing take on humanity, where a person would return this missing piece for no reward. Selena, not knowing that this mysterious crimson-haired woman is Barbara Gordon, former Batgirl, now Oracle, Selena admits that she wasn't as taking with the philanthropy the way the mystery girl was. After a few extra moments of taking in the view, Selena turns to see if she knows who this stranger is. But Barbara was gone. Barbara is now strolling down a hipster-like street of Gotham, reflecting on how her first encounter with the Catwoman and how this femme fatale inspired her. Catwoman had all the confidence and style that she lacked. Working with her made her realize that she never succeeded trying to imitate someone else. Catwoman showed her that she had to make her own way in the world. On her own terms, no matter what anyone expects, from bad girl to Oracle. And that is the story. It's five years later. What do you think of this issue? Um, I, the one thing I loved about this, I love the whole uh, time has passed. 
So, like, I think one thing that uh, I think something that DC will be remembered for is kind of like the legacy of their legacy characters. So, like, we actually do see Dick age and be Nightwing and run the, the Titans and that kind of stuff, like this graduation, this rite of passage. And I like how, you know, we go from Batgirl to Oracle and then even Catwoman going from one uniform to the next costume. So, like, I love that kind of stuff. Like, I was always into, like, uh, you know, Leave it to Beaver when they did the return and it's years later. And we see Eddie Haskell with his son and the Beaver with his son and, like, time has passed. And that's why I like with the Jeff Johns JSA, where it's that legacy. But, like, when I see things like The Simpsons and it's been on for 30 years and Bart is still 10, I'm like, I, I can't do it. I just can't do it. <laughs> Yeah, and a lot of superhero comics are sort of fixed in time, or at least time is slower. Superman's in Eternal 29 or, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but having big changes in their lives and making those changes stick is what gives it heft. I think maybe it's the reason why they want to reboot it all the time is because, like, a new generation of readers, mm -hmm. you know, just can't take the history, or so they say. But I remember starting reading comics in the 80s. You know, like the Marvel Universe or that had been going on for a long time and you don't know the history and you don't know who these Tom, Dicks and Harrys are, but you learn, you check it out. And we didn't even have the internet back then. You you know, you just went with it. So something like uh, Secret Wars or Crisis on Infinite Earths, it doesn't matter if it was like a, a million characters that you didn't know yet. You didn't know them yet is is the point, I guess. So seeing them grow up a little uh, through the DC Universe you know, during the, from the mid eighties through that point, you know, the, the two thousands was part of the, the joy. And I, I don't know that readers were turned off by it. It's just, it just seemed like editors were turned off by it more than anything. So I agree. And, and they really did do a sequel here and saying, well, it's been five years for Barbara and it's been five. And obviously things have changed and it's been five years for Catwoman and some things have changed. Certainly, you know, by this point, she, she's had her own series for a while and they, they've really changed her costume but her kind of her outlook and she's had storylines happening to her but they changed the villains as well so we see we catch up with writer uh, burnham who was the villain of the first piece as he's he's in prison the vampire the so-called vampire is just a guy who's sort of allergic to the sun he's changed his whole modus operandi you know he's he used to be a goth and now he's more like uh, in a business suit kind of guy and he's using knives, which he wasn't before. And Val Luton, who became a Catwoman, um, she was uh, at the very start of her career, let's say, in the previous story. So even the villains are evolving. It's interesting how uh, if you don't tie things up, if things aren't resolved, they could be sitting there boiling up and you don't realize it. Like Catwoman didn't think about Val Luton ever again. Meanwhile, Val Luton is sitting there lifting weights with pictures of Selena Kyle all throughout her dwelling. Right, obsessing over. And and I want to say I want to fix something that I did wrong in the previous installment, uh, which is and I know I probably talked about it in uh, like a feedback section, but at the time it was silly of me not to realize uh, that Val Valerie Luton, Val Luton is named after the the movie producer who worked at RKO in the 40s and is responsible for a number of uh, very interesting horror films, cheap horror films, but he found ways to make them super lyrical. In particular, Cat People, that's the classic. So ah. Cat People and Val Luton becomes uh, a cat woman or she wanted to be cat girl or whatever she wanted to be uh, when she wanted to be the sidekick. That was always supposed to be a Val Luton reference 
I had just marathoned a bunch of Valutin films not long before we did the thing. So it's ridiculous of me not to have clued in. It's like, it sounds familiar, Valutin, and I just, I did never made the connection like an idiot. So, so I, I'm rectifying that right now and saying, yeah, Valutin reference to Cat People, to the producer of Cat People. Well worth looking for the, the Valutin stuff from RKO. Uh, that said, one of the things that I like about this is the the relationship between Catwoman and Oracle. Because at the end, when uh, Barbara admits to seeing Catwoman as a sort of role model, that's new information. You know, it's like, oh, okay, so this, I guess, villain in the, you know, sort of anti-hero at least, but villain in the DCU, actually taught Barbara a lesson. That one time they, they met was important to her philosophy as a crime fighter. You know, so it, it allowed her to make that leap from Bad Girl to... In other words, we're looking at a story from Bad Girl's past in the previous issue, and here we're being told that one story was super important to the development of... Ba- because Bad Girl was a, a start of, of her career, and this was very a very important step for her. So it gives a lot more weight to the, the, the story of the, or the two stories, don't you think? Yeah, it's, it's almost like a, a, like a rapper or a comedian where... Sometimes they'll tell you who their influences are and you feel like, oh, I don't, I don't really see that. But, you know, when you start off young, you're looking for your voice. You're looking for delivery and cadence. So it's like, OK, as a young Barbara Gordon is trying to mimic someone. She's like, OK, I don't really want to mimic the Batman. And Dick Grayson is my peer group. So it would make sense that if she kind of looked 15 degrees to the right or to the left and saw Catwoman, like, yeah, you know what? I could model myself after this till I find my own way. So that was pretty neat. And it uh, is an interesting way to make this canon, if you will. Speaking of canon, another bit I like is her reference, Barbara's reference to when she was a kid and was listening to the police scanner, uh, her dad's police scanner, presumably. We're used to thinking of Oracle in terms of, oh, Barbara Gordon was a librarian. She was a researcher. Uh, she she knows how to do research. You know, she's like the, the kids in Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. You know, there's always that, that sequence where they have to do research on the demon. And so that prepared her for being Oracle. Uh, because she already had that skill set even as Batgirl, even as a teenager. So this here is a, another little bit of that. When she was a kid, she's a, a cop's daughter. She's listening to the police scanner. Obviously, she's interested in crime and crime solving and all that sort of stuff. And and before she gets inspired by the Batman, she's sort of inspired by her dad, you know, kind of the same thing. So she's listening to the, the police band radios. And that also prepared her for being Oracle, because being Oracle is all about listening to police scanners, filtering out information, sort of seeing the situation from afar uh, and being able to respond to it. So she also had that skill set from, you know, something that seems very, very natural for the kid of a cop. Yeah, uh, it's really cool how in this story, it's Catwoman moving around, interacting with people. So with the Oracle is almost each vignette when we get to see her, we see her interact with the Nightwing. We see her interact with her father, James Gordon, and then another interaction with Black Canary. And Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed Oracle in this one. I thought she was uh, pleasant. And I think, I don't think this story, like these two books that we read, I don't think they're that strong, but I think they're a great thing to hand to someone who's like, all right, I hear that February 7th, 2020, there's going to be a Birds of Prey movie. Mm. Well, it's going to be like, well, the books really aren't like that movie, but 
I think these two stories, they're real quick. This would be a good primer set. Like if I gave them seven books here, this could be two of them. I, I love that that sequence with Black Canary, especially because it's Barbara having friends, but they're they're not taking over the case. But she she does as their opinion, and and that page it's just an info dump. That's all it is. It's let's tell the story of the first issue, so you know in case people haven't read it, and just to refresh people's minds. But instead of just having talking heads, there's some action going on, and we see Barbara using. I guess Huntress's uh, crossbow. She's good at it. She's blindfolded and she hits the target. And that pays off later when that's how she sends Catwoman an extra set of earbuds so that she can, you know, run the show from the... So so we've got Barbara Gordon being physical. It's not just... She's not just a head. She's not just sitting there working computers. She's out in the world and she's doing stuff and she finds ways. She's clever. She finds ways to make things happen because that's her character. So that's a great sequence that, that was just fun as a one pager where, oh, instead of just having talking heads, we're actually seeing some training for the birds of prey. You know, that's that's fun. It gives you something to look at. It shows that, that Barbara's uh, still got it in the physical department, but then it pays off. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because at first it just seemed like, you know, like in the 90s, they would do like, we're going to have some interesting dialogue, like in a Kevin Smith movie, while like we're at a, like this restaurant where everything is 50s based, like it'll be like this quirky little thing going on. But no, actually that was foreshadowing because she was going to do that to send that note that ended up helping Catwoman. But I, I like the scene with Oracle and Catwoman where and it's something that's always a reminder is everyone, I, you know, you always have to remind yourself that everyone doesn't know who the Oracle is. Like the, everyone doesn't know that it's bad girl. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting about this is a, it's an interesting power dynamic, if you will. In these two stories, Barbara Gordon knows Catwoman and chances are she knows that she's Selena Kyle. However, with Catwoman, she doesn't know bad girl is Barbara Gordon. And she doesn't know that bad girl was shot, uh, now is out of commission as far as uh, crime fighting on a physical sense, day in and day out, and that now she's the Oracle. In this, uh, Selena Kyle is blind to all of that, so to speak, because uh, she never knew who bad girl was, and she didn't know that Oracle and bad girl and Barbara Gordon, all of that is the same. So that is it's an interesting dynamic where it could make it seem like Catwoman was powerless in this, but of course she wasn't. But I like their banter back and forth where they're like, Catwoman was like, you know, can't you send me Superman to help me? Oracle was like, no, uh, his standards are way too high. Mine are much lower dealing with the likes of you. Because uh, the reason why Oracle had to get at her like that is because uh, Catwoman referred to Oracle as a glorified operator. Yeah, Catwoman doesn't want to play the game. You know, she's from the beginning, she hates that she needs help. And this was the case five years before. She perhaps changed less than Barbara Gordon did because she wasn't forced to. Bad Girl was a rookie five years ago. Catwoman was not a rookie five years ago, and she's not a rookie now. She's a, you know, battled hardened veteran of this life, and she's uh, she doesn't want the help. She throws the first earbuds away. Uh, she just creates problems as Oracle's partner. She creates problems for Oracle. Oracle has more than just the case to solve. Oracle also has to contend with a partner that's throwing up dust, you know, that's making it more difficult to help. That makes this issue, I think, better than the first one. I, I like it better than the first one. I, I, you know, I haven't read the first one in a year, obviously. I came off of it with a a better appreciation. And maybe that's because I like Oracle better than I did Bad Girl. Maybe because I like Catwoman 
in this era more than I did when she was in the purple outfit. You can't have one story without the other, but yeah. I also feel like this story had a little more to it. Let's talk about the power of the Oracle, okay. where um, she had the power to find out where Selena Kyle's money was to hold mm. his leverage. So that's one thing, and be able to reroute it somewhere. And the things that she has to keep up with. So it's like, all right, I'm with my father at this game. I have to play like, hey, I'm just your tech daughter. She gets the call and says that it was from Court Industries, but it's really from Catwoman. So she had to get out of there. Also, she is responsible for those tickets. Probably it wasn't mm-hmm. Court Industries because she scored some deal with them, a merger with Sony and Disney. I mean, Court Industries. So uh, I think Oracle is an interesting character because especially in the Birds of Prey books, she's doing a lot of mad manipulation. Hmm. So uh, she's someone where uh, she knows a lot of information. She can use that against people. And sometimes she'll go through extreme measures to get that info and to hold it. So it's almost like sometimes I guess publishers, they think, man, I think we have a character that's too powerful. And like Oracle, I mean, like I mentioned before, she's basically the Justice League's uh, Google. So, you know, she has tabs on anyone. Even Catwoman said, I know you have the power to call down Superman. Get him to help. Yeah. Yeah. Because we see the screens and she seems to have like dedicated screens for the Justice League, for the Bat family and for the Birds of Prey. It's like you see the logos on there. Uh, But there's really no one that's outside her reach. And she, I mean, in uh, Grant Morrison's JLA book, she was a member. You know, it's like Oracle was, you, you saw the floating head there in group shots. Uh, once they expanded the team to include, uh, you know, Plastic Man and, um, Orion yes. and Big Barda. Yeah. Uh, you know, that expansion to, to, to 12 or 13 characters. There was Oracle, you know, that, that green floating avatar was part of those group shots. So she was a member. Bad Girl never became a member of, uh, the Justice League. It's too big, but Oracle, Definitely as powerful as any of those guys. So, yeah. She was like the ship in Blake 7 or <laughs> ORAC. Because she's a disembodied voice, right? It's like she's Andromeda, you know, mm-hmm. sort of thing. But a, a real person with a real life, with uh, secret identity problems. So that's, we see that in this uh, when, when she's uh, at the game with her dad. So, yeah, she can do a lot of stuff. If she can reroute money from a supervillain's account, um, she could be toppling a lot a lot more supervillains. You know, couldn't she just like destroy Lex Luthor at this point? You know, when, or maybe he's just as, you know, he's a genius too, or maybe that's the difference. Catwoman isn't like a financial genius. She's not, <laughs> she's not protected as much as she's like. So uh, we're seeing here our Oracle could destroy what Catwoman has built. So that doesn't help with the trust issues between the two characters. <laughs> I, and I like at the end where she, you know, she, there's like that double manipulation. In the first book, Catwoman screwed her out of those paintings. And then in uh, in this one, Bad Girl tries to, or Oracle tries to set it right. And uh, again, Catwoman screws with her. And this time she had a backup plan. Now this time she's Oracle. She's not green anymore. She's... She is a veteran as well. And so she uses her skills to, to make that happen. And we got that scene at the end. And when I, I was saying that maybe Catwoman hasn't changed in five years, I don't think she's set to change. Because at the end of that, it, this is, reminds me of the, the Father Brown mysteries. All right. Father Brown is like this Sherlock Holmesian figure. He's a priest and it's a very famous. Uh, series of uh, short stories, mysteries. And unlike Sherlock Holmes, will sort of figure it stuff out. 
uh, by, you know, the dirt on your shoes or stuff like that, you know, like physical evidence a lot. Whereas Father Brown is more of a human nature expert. So he'll talk to people and then he'll figure out what makes them tick and that will in turn lead him to, to solve some crimes. But he doesn't just want to solve crimes, he wants to save their souls. So he doesn't always want to call the cops. He wants to give the person a chance at redemption instead. It's very interesting stories. There is a movie adaptation of the very first story, which is just called Father Brown. And it's uh, it's a British film with Alec Guinness, old Obi-Wan Kenobi. Alec Guinness in the role. It's like from the 50s or 60s. And in that story, he's chasing a cat burglar type character who steals art. And so there's like a chess game between the two. It's quite funny as well. And then at the end... There it is, the big art collection. You know, Father Brown tries to explain to him that these works of art belong they belong in a museum. <laughs> it's not the kind of stuff that, that you should be selfish about and just keep to yourself and just say you can look at them and nobody else can. The cops come in, you know, they, they follow the trail of Father Brown. They come in, the guy escapes, but the collection is retrieved and put in a museum. And so the last scene is just like this scene in this comic, where... The, the cat burglar visits the museum and you see all the paintings that he'd stolen and they're on the wall now. He, he looks at them. There's these two little kids who are looking at the painting and appreciating it and thinking it's, oh, wow, this is so cool. And you see the cat burglar realize what Father Brown was talking about. Suddenly it's like, oh, I'm sharing this experience with others. And it is magical. And it is meant to be shared art. Whereas Catwoman, art is meant to be sold i guess <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah so at the end of the of the issue here there's that same scene where barbara as herself is sort of telling the same thing to selena kyle as if she doesn't know who she is you know there's no realization from selena you know catwoman is still angry and bitter that she lost the loot basically so there's no change in Catwoman at that point in the way that there was in the Father Brown movie or the, that first story, the Blue Cross or whatever. So, so I feel like Catwoman is, is stunted as a character, you know, just to make it that she never leaves the life of crime, I guess. She can't change. But Barbara is a growing character. She's been forced to grow. What you see here is that she's still growing. She's still learning things about herself. She's just still making decisions. Where Catwoman, I'm not saying that the Catwoman comics didn't didn't have her story move forward, but it feels at the end of this that she hasn't really learned any kind of lesson. Who fared better? Our usual mini-debate touching several topics and confronting our two characters. The first one is how well this fits each of the characters' stories or atmospheres. Is this more of a Catwoman story or is it more of an Oracle story? Ashford. Wow, you know, um, I think I'm going to disappoint. I think this is, because I do a Birds of Prey podcast, I see more, I guess I'm leaning more Oracle. But uh, I wonder if this is 50-50. I guess I'll say this is more of a... I guess it's more of a Birds of Prey story. I think more of uh, Oracle's supporting cast is in this, opposed to mm. uh, Selena Kyle. So, on a technicality, Oracle. Well, I will agree with you, even though I'm supposed to, yeah. to defend Catwoman. I could defend Catwoman and say, well, the villain is after her. You know, it's another Catwoman. It's So, there's a lot of Catwoman action, because Oracle is not a physical, or not usually a physical character. So, you get a lot of, all the superhero action is between two Catwomen in this. 
uh, and Catwoman goes after the the vampire and goes at you know. So it seems like a Catwoman story, except the point of view is very much Oracle's. We're in her thoughts. This is about her relationship with Catwoman as she sees it. And a lot of the Catwoman action is predicated on what Oracle makes her do. You know, it's like, oh, Catwoman does this. She jumps on that train. No, that's it's all Oracle. Even when we were dividing the the workload on the synopsis, you know, I'm supposed to do the Catwoman stuff and you're supposed to do the Oracle stuff. Sometimes it's like, well, the page has Catwoman on it, but really she's just doing the things that Oracle tells her to do. So is this an Oracle page or is this a Catwoman page, you know? So I think it is an Oracle story in which Catwoman is prominent, but it, it's also a story where that can't exist without the both of them, of course. I love it. Cool moves. So what is Oracle's coolest move? You know what? I think it's the <laughs> aiming the crossbow inside the car of the driver's seat mm. hitting right on target, right? I thought that was cool. Yeah. I mean, earlier we saw she could do it <laughs> with a blindfold on. So, uh, yeah, that is a very cool moment. Uh, there, there isn't a lot for Catwoman. I, I feel like she's being played either by the villains or by Oracle all the way through. So it sort of lessens her coolness physically or visually. I like the moment where she's spread eagled on that turbine. She gets thrown by Carnivora and, uh, you know, she, she has to like stop herself from, from going yeah. through the, the blades of the turbine. That's about as cool as it gets because even like the killing blow, <laughs> hitting someone with a wrench, Feels very un-Catwoman-like to me. Okay, well, maybe dumb or weird moves will yield something interesting. What is Oracle's dumbest move? I didn't care for the killing joke reference. Like, anytime mm. that pops up, I just always think it's, it's cheap. And um, I, I was saving this. I was going to say this a number of times, but I was like, no, save it for this part. Okay. Usually um, on the Birds of Prey podcast that I do, I, I take a lot of shots at Oracle because she does a lot of manipulative stuff to... Dinah to the Huntress to other folks. So it's, it's like, wow, man, this lady here. But I think in this book, I'm not saying that she was sainthood, but she was darn near perfect. So that was the only thing I could find was the, you know, just to do the, the little cheap little reference to the killing joke thing. Yeah, I don't disagree. I don't like that story or the way it was played at the time or that they keep bringing it up. I know it's a bestseller, uh, but it's also... You know, pretty provocative to just keep putting it out there, you know, keep reminding us of this. And, it, you know, at the time it had like sexual overtones that we don't like. So I agree. And that, that whole dream sequence is like, why is Killer Moth the the neuron boosted creepy critter version of him in her dream? You know, when she actually fought the original, uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the human version. So it's like just maybe more monsters. Her first outing with the Killer Moth. Exactly. That's her first villain. For Catwoman... Uh, it's the fact that she can't catch her tracker, you know, and she's being followed by Carnivora, and I know she's enhanced, an enhanced human, but still, you know, she just like pushes some some big beams or tubes around, and oh, there's no one there, and we we see that Carnivora is is like up the stairs, hiding in the shadows. Meh, you know, it it just feels like again and again, Catwoman can't survive this story without Oracle's help, <laughs> is the thing. They keep bringing that up. It's like, oh, Oracle's like keeping watch over her. Yeah, poor Selena. What what does she do usually in her own book? She had like a hundred issues of her own s series. What did she do without the guy in the chair? Like they say in uh, Spider Man. So that was like for me. That was like maybe the stupidest move. Friendly farewell. How does this one rate? How, how, what do you think of their 
farewell if it is friendly. Oh, no, I, I thought it was uh, wrapped up in a nice pretty bow at the end. Um, even though they're not revealing themselves to each other, I thought it was uh, a satisfying ending. And especially with Oracle, you know, going down that sidewalk there, like in some art district of the mm. city. And we see her and there's like a flashback kind of panel of a younger Catwoman and a younger Barbara Gordon as Batgirl. So I thought it was a nice little touch where if there were anything in the middle of the story where you're like, "Ah, I think that's kind of clunky. This ending will leave a good taste in your mouth about the whole book. It's a one-way street in a sense that the affection that any of these characters might have because Catwoman resents having had to go to Oracle for any mm-hmm. of this. She doesn't like Oracle and in the end Oracle wins the social game or you know the the game where about that artwork stuff. So Catwoman's not going to like that, but there is affection coming from Oracle herself. She helped Selina Kyle out of hero worship in a way uh, that she owed this to this character. That She's sort of redeeming a part of her soul by uh, recovering the art as well, I think, to bring it back to Father Brown. But for Oracle, she's doing something nice and she's going out of this story happy to have re-teamed with Catwoman. We'll uh, take a break for a couple of promos and we'll be back with our bonus team-ups. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics, cat burglar Selena Gordon has always had a connection to cats. A psychic connection. After losing the use of her legs in a heist gone wrong, she turned away from crime, using her ability to see and act through the cats to help heroes all over Gotham City. It's a new team-up book in the Amalgam tradition, Cat's Eye. Catch it on the stands this fall when Selena secretly helps Night Canary. To confront the ultimate killers, I must construct the ultimate alias. Hey, who is that lady? I think she could fly. To combat the murderers who destroy my family, crush my own life on their way to consuming everything, I must become a greater, more fearsome destroyer. Hey, man, somebody killed this lady. To track down the animals who prey on the innocent, I must stalk them first. I am no longer their quarry. I am the Huntress. You can listen to the Huntress Podcast online at thehuntresspodcast.com, at Apple Podcasts. Go to Twitter at Huntress Podcast. And again, this shares a feed with the Bad Girl Cassandra Kane Podcast. Cheers. We're back. Our final feature, the bonus team up, in which each of us proposes the perfect Oracle team up. So Ashford, I think yours is going to be bananas. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, now this, uh, I was struggling with this, but this is Oracle and Ellipsis, Larry David. Larry David. Yeah, hey, check this out. Uh, I can't think of anything, but I was thinking, man, you know, Larry David with Kirby Enthusiasm and Seinfeld, it, the characters are always proposing these wild ideas. So both he and Oracle will come up with killer applications that everyone would want at reasonable prices. So like little apps on your phone, mm. uh, like the best ranked public restroom with review-based algorithms. And one of their famous apps, an app that ranks the top worst foreign films. Because on Seinfeld, they're always doing that where they're watching these like bad art house movies. 
And of course, an app which ranks the best soups in every city. Uh, the two would post FaceTime videos to YouTube and other social media, showing examples of the two of them. Uh, Oracle behind the desk, Larry navigating the sidewalks of New York City and other places, putting the apps to use. And in Curb Your Enthusiasm, they had like a pseudo Seinfeld reunion where George, I, I believe he proposed uh, like an app that'll help you find those great public restrooms like they debated on the show Seinfeld. So I think this is right up their alley. Oracle and Larry David. I could just see the bantering going awry. <laughs> and this is a way to uh, combine two of your shows as well. Yes. Yes. Isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We do at the Ride On Network. We have a Birds of Prey podcast called Feathers and Foes. And we have a Seinfeld podcast called uh, The Four Who Rule, the Seinfeld podcast. Yeah, thanks for the plug. <laughs> no problem. Uh, and you'll get a chance to plug more uh, after my suggested team up, which is slightly less insane, but not that much. I teamed up Oracle with Johnny Mnemonic. I fully admit this idea came up because I've been doing a complete Keanu watch. I'm not up to Johnny Mnemonic yet, but uh, I will get there. Um, imagine Johnny in the near future Gotham. Uh, he's ferrying information packages for Oracle. He gets in a whole mess of trouble with uh, Pharmacom, which is run by the Scarecrow or something, and just like make it more Batman-centric. He sends cyborg baddies after him, guys like the KG Beast, maybe. This sounds like an Elseworld. And she, uh, Oracle, has to use her computer skills to help him remotely so he can get to the Batcave and make the delivery. Something like that. So uh, like a cyberpunk thriller starring Oracle. Um, I have a lot to say about this. I'll okay. make it really brief. Okay, so remember when everyone thought that The Matrix was a sequel to Giant Mnemonic at first? Like people okay. were like, they're making a they're making a Giant Mnemonic part two, and then everyone's like, oh no, this is The Matrix. Okay, so you're doing a bit counter Reeves uh, watch. Have you gotten to uh, the night before? Uh, yes, I've done the night before. I'm, I'm up to like 1991. Oh, I've done wow. 86 through 91. Okay, today. so guys, like, you know, right now there's this, this coronation of Keanu Reeves and everyone loves him. Go back and watch the night before. Uh, good little cheap comedy. A very young Keanu Reeves with a young Aunt Becky. Mm-hmm. All right. And, uh, you know, I know she's in a lot of trouble, but she was good in it, but she was in the Birds of Prey television show. Now, wait, wait, wait. I know, uh, the Birds of Prey television show isn't looked at highly and i don't look at it highly at all but i kind of like it yeah I, I i watched all the episodes and we reviewed it on the the podcast we didn't rag it like we we had our fun with it but i will say this guys and becky shows up as the black canaries or a dinah the dinah they had on the show as her mother and right. she as was the original black canary so yes yeah. guys she rocked it listen and becky as black canary like you said, like she was like the, the legacy character. She was the, the the first one. She rocked as Black Canary. It was awesome. Not her first. Uh, I, I mean, when we say that, <laughs> when we say Ed Becky, we mean. Um, uh, I'm not saying go back and watch every single uh, Birds of Prey, the television show that was on CWB. But I am saying it is worth watching that particular episode with Aunt Becky and Cisco. It has the real name. Yeah, the, with Lori Laughlin yes. is the is the real name, and it's not even her first. This is a repairing with Keanu Reeves, because you know, watching this thing, I've been watching like TV Canadian TV movies. <laughs> yeah, just to get through the whole thing. I, I've missed a couple. There, there's a couple of things that just I can't find. But uh, they were together in a TV movie called The Brotherhood of Justice or something like that. It's like about teenage vigilantes. 
young Keanu Reeves, young Lori Loughlin, young uh, Kiefer Sutherland, young Billy Zane. It's- oh, wow. <laughs> so I've been watching all of this, this sort of stuff. And I mean, the night before, if people who don't, haven't seen it, because it's a very obscure film now, but it reteams those two. It's the same premise as The Hangover, except it's not terrible, Gas- which I would say The Hangover is. <laughs> it, it it's um an, the night before is the hangover mixed with the scene in Weird Science where they're in the black club. It's those two put together, and it's uh, it's brilliant. Well, I don't want to be controversial, but Bogus Journey is better than Excellent Adventure. I think it's easier to watch in the Keanu watch. Yeah, you know, I, I just this week watched the first Bill and Ted, rewatched. Well, of course, I've seen it before, but watched it with friends. And then so next Friday, when we have our movie night, we will watch Bogus Journey. And I, I feel like they're both fun for me. So, um, I'll see how I, uh, when I revisit it, how much I like it. But yeah, Keanu, I'm doing that Keanu watch. So wow. that explains my Johnny Mnemonic thing here. And I don't know that I would have thought of this. If I wasn't in the middle of it, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, oh, well, do I put her up with uh, Hacker Files, that comic? Remember that? Yes. Um, but no, Oracle's already in that. So that team up has happened. Uh, so that's when I went to, well, maybe there's like a movie I can team her up with. And that was the one I uh, I thought of. Uh, we're at the end of the, the show here. So thanks for teaming up with me, Ashford. What are you working on right now? Tell people about your shows. Okay, so you can go to the uh, Ride On Network, and that is W-R-I-G-H-T on network.com, where we have a Birds of Prey podcast. Uh, I can't think of the episode, but we did talk to the, uh, we interviewed the creator of the Oracle on one of the episodes. I'm going to have to tweet that out there so you can find it. And we also do the Straight Out of Gallifrey podcast, and Siskoid, he is a MVP on that show. A lot of fun. We talk about Doctor Who episodes that feature other Time Lords. And now we're just doing a, a, because we went through every episode from the time meddler. We went from the time meddler all the way to uh, the Capaldi years. And we're waiting for a time Lord of Gallifrey to pop up in the Jody Whitaker years, hopefully. And now we're just going back. We went through all of that. Now we're just going back and talking about each series of Doctor Who from Hartnell all the way to Jody Whitaker. Maybe by the time we get there, it might be. Two doctors gone by. Who knows? We also have the Bad Girl Cassandra Kane podcast, where we talk about those adventures with Cassandra Kane, my favorite Bad Girl. Sorry, and that feed um, is actually on the HuntressPodcast.com. That feed is shared with the Huntress podcast, and we talk about Helena Bertinelli. Um, she's my favorite character in uh, comics, Helena Bertinelli, and we also have. The For Who Rule a Seinfeld podcast. So if you go to rightonnetwork.com or you can follow me on S.O. Gallifrey on Twitter or Feathers and Foes on Twitter and you'll see uh, what I'm up to. So uh, I'll let you get on with your day. Another small break and return with feedback from the previous episode. Batman Nightcast, a thrilling podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, hosted by Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin. Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders' adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Highlights from this legendary era include Batman number 400, Legends, Mike Barr and Alan Davis, Batman Year One, Batman Year Two, Max Allen Collins, Ugh. Um, the new Jason Todd, Ugh. Millennium. You're not doing this right. Let me take over. Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle. 
Alan Grant from Jurassic Park? Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh, yeah. Son of the Demon. The Killing Joke. A Death in the Family. Batman Year Free. A Lonely Place of Dying. Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Counts. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman? The Rise of Tim Drake. Legends of the Dark Knight. And that's just up until 1989. Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that? You'll have to tune in to find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, When Batman Fires Dick Grayson. You want to find another co-host? We're back with your feedback on the previous episode, which was a team-up between Superman and the Freedom Fighters just in time for the 4th of July. My guest was Nicholas Brom. And here's what you had to say about it. Uh, Rob Kelly starts us off. He says, The Freedom Fighters without Phantom Lady? That's like Blondie without Debbie Harry. You're kind of overstating it there, Rob. Uh, maybe Fleetwood Mac uh, without Stevie Nicks. That would be more appropriate. He says, Nevertheless, this is a fun, goofy story. And yeah, I definitely get a zany, haney vibe from the proceedings. DC grabbing most of their quality characters and smushing them into one team book made a lot of commercial sense. And I remember FF number one. No, not that one being one of the first back issues I ever bought via a Heroes World catalog, if I remember correctly. Diablo Frank says, I want to like the Freedom Fighters, but it hasn't happened yet. Any good word on the current series? Eddie Barrows could help me to like the Freedom Fighters, maybe. Well, Michael Ridge may have an answer here. He says, the current Freedom Fighters series does take place on Earth-X. In the current day, the original group was destroyed, but a new group starts by trying to reawaken Uncle Sam, the spirit of America. It is one of the few titles I'm currently buying. So, that sounds like an endorsement. Brian Linton says, thanks for covering this story, even if it's not quite a proper team-up. The Freedom Fighters are one of those teams that look interesting to me, but I've never gotten around to reading any of their titles. Therefore, I appreciate the look at one of their adventures. In regards to the cover, I assume that the Nazis of Earth-X sank Canada beneath the waves as part of their master plan to conquer the Western Hemisphere. As a result, Canada went on to become Earth-X equivalent of Atlantis, which means the Earth-X version of Aquaman is Canadian as well. All in all, I'd say the Earth-X Canada made out pretty well in all of this. That is to say, they avoided direct Nazi occupation, and they get to be ruled by Jason Momoa. I guess we've had worse. Uh, Martin Grace says, great idea for a July 4th episode. I'm with Nicholas Mind. I don't get patriotism at all. Loving your country above all others, simply because that's the one you were born in, is weird. I wonder why this issue, which I vaguely recall, had no Phantom Lady in it. Without the Phantom Lady, there ain't no Freedom Fighters. So he's of a mind with Rob on this. Could someone please ask Dan Mishkin or Bob Rosakis on Facebook what the deal was there? I'm too shy. Uh, I don't think anyone has. I wonder if Gary Bates and Dave Cockrum knew of Human Bomb when they created Erg 1. He's talking about wildfire. And there are some similarities for sure. Uncle Sam travels to other Earths because the spirit of America is multiversal, he says. As Michael Ridge implies, that idea about the power of Sam being affected by the American situation is a big part of the current series. It's not a bad read, but terribly one note in its grimness. I recommend you check out the Justin Gray, Jimmy Palmiotti, Daniel Acuna series from 2006, and the sequel series, and those are the ones I've read. Both series were a good-looking read. I also like the Amalgam mashup, and he says I'm all for a Scooby-Doo team-up episode, maybe with someone who regularly reviews it, especially fun issues are number 25, GLGA, 26, Hong Kong Fui, 30, the Chals, the Challengers of the Unknown, 33, Legion of Superheroes, 37, Supergirl, 42, Supergorillas, 48, The Rogues. Oh, they're all tremendous. 
And he has another request, another offbeat team up worth discussing, is Catwoman, Tweedy, and Sylvester. Uh, Ward Hill Terry uh, says, I was a regular reader of the Freedom Fighters original series, at least from issue six on, but I got this one as a later back issue. It really is a disappointment as a Freedom Fighters story, not just because of the absence of Phantom Lady. We don't see them as a team or as friends or even as personalities, which was done very well by Bob Rosakis in their own book. The thing about Uncle Sam, the comics character, is that he is a personality with no definable power set. Sam should always speak like the humorist Mark Twain wrote him, but other than that, uh, he seems to be a patriotic deus ex machina. He punches hard and withstands artillery fire and leaps great distance and traverses dimensions and waxes eloquently on American ideals and whatever the story needs. He's like Walt Whitman as the Hulk crossed with the Phantom Stranger, but I do like his earnestness. And Terry, I, I know that's supposed to be criticism, but damn, I think you just sold us on Uncle Sam with that description. Chris Franklin uh, chimes in, saying, fun episode, the framing sequence in the comic with the kid meeting Uncle Sam always reminded me of a certain Porky Pig cartoon, and uh, the one that's called Old Glory, and you can find the link right there at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And since I'm already sending you there, a reminder that we do enjoy reading your comments, and that the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page, or tag us on Twitter using the hashtag FWPodcasts. We'll see you next time for another amazing superhero team-up, because after all, justice is a team effort. No one does it.